Welcome to the next episode of the Cannabis Review. I'm delighted to be joined in this episode by Guillermo Rodriguez, who's a virtual CFO. Uh, how are you keeping today, Guillermo? I am doing good. How are you, Owen? I'm fantastic. Thank you very much for taking your time to do this. Uh, it's a very interesting side of the industry that I'm sure a lot of people will gain a lot of value out of. Can you maybe start off though by giving everybody a little background overview on your how you came to your position in the industry? Sure. Um, I'm a I'm a CPA, and you know the the short version is um, I became I always say this I became a CPA because I I wanted to to make money and move out of my parents' house when I was in college, and so. Um, after I graduated, I went into a very typical uh, accounting position. You know, accountants do things, uh, do financial statements and look into the past. And so I did that for a few years. But the moment that changed for me was about halfway in through my now 15 year career. I was working for a large construction company and we had to make an acquisition. And so I know you hear a lot about now, FP&A departments, large companies have financial planning and analysis professionals. These are the people that help uh, do forecasting, raise capital, look at what products are profitable and, and just analysis to make better decisions. And so at that point, I really moved more into uh, an FP&A position, a forward-looking position, because I had to uh, create a forecast for this acquisition. And so I changed from an accounting career into more of a corporate finance uh, professional. And so I did that for, for a few years. Uh, it, was, it was very exciting because I was getting to do some new things and really is where the accounting profession is now moving. Uh, if you look at accounting firms, the majority of the revenue now is coming from consulting. So companies are not just wanting uh, you know, financial reporting and taxes, but they're also looking for advisors. They're looking for that financial relationship to help their their companies grow. And so I was fine doing that in the corporate world. I think where everything changed for me, and I'll get to how I got into cannabis, was uh, COVID happened. And around that time, um, you know, the solution was stand six feet apart and all these different kinds of things, which was good in the short term. But I was really thinking through this as like, what's a really long term solution? Like, we can't do this forever, right? And what I, I was really influenced by uh, Ayurvedic medicine that talks about prevention of disease. And I, I, I think at that moment, I, I did some training on that. And, and it was during the COVID years. And, and I said, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's my approach to health is more about prevention. And so um, we weren't doing that during the pandemic. And uh, my company was having those those kinds of, you know, regulations that I, I couldn't agree with, and I, and I couldn't move forward. in so so I left and uh, decided to become an independent consultant. And it was during that year that I, that I found cannabis, started researching different industries. And I said, well, here's an industry where uh, people are moving forward with their own approach to health, regardless of regulation. And so for me, it was all about empowerment and people choosing their own path to well-being. And I felt that cannabis was doing that. And then on top of that, um, all the expungement, um, the other piece of the industry that's going on is the, um, you know, I, I look at it, the, the restorative justice piece where uh, the laws are changing, the punitive outdated laws um, around cannabis, uh, criminal activity are changing. And so I, I said, well, these two things I really want to be a part of, especially because I was in a restorative justice uh, ministry 
at the time. And I felt it was a great industry to get into, um, not knowing how challenging the industry would be at the time. But um, at that point, um, over that next year, I joined virtual um, Anders Virtual CFO by Anders and uh, became one of their virtual CFOs. And now I'm leading up the, the cannabis vertical. It seems like one of the key components for any good cannabis company is going to be hiring a good CFO. And a lot of good CFOs have a very substantial pay packet associated with that. Can you explain to everybody what is a virtual CEO? What are the benefits of using a virtual CEO over a hybrid an in-person person? Right. Most most large companies have an in-house hired on virtual CFOs. Yes, as you mentioned, it, it's very expensive, right? And that doesn't even cover the support team around the, the CFO, right? You need a senior accountant, maybe a controller. All that cost together can be pretty high. And so companies of the you know 2 million to 20 million range that's just a really big cost i mean you really just can't afford it and it'll eat into your margins and and you don't need it right you don't really need a full on cfo at that at that size and so what a virtual cfo is and what we do is we provide the same level of service but at a at a fraction of the cost and at a set weekly rate and what a virtual CFO is comes in and it's a it's a relationship where the clients really know their business. They know what's going on and hopefully um, they've thought through strategy. But what we do is we come in on the financial side. Right. And we help the op marry that operational side with the financial side to help move the business forward and provide the financial support that that business owner needs that that client needs to move forward. So that's. It really starts with so the foundation of that is what we call dynamic forecasting. Um, right now we're in February. So here over the last couple of months, we've been setting what we call a financial plan. Um, a lot of people refer to that as a budget. And, and that's fine, but that's really set in stone. At the beginning of the year, we take it a step further and we build a dynamic forecast that we're really updating every month um, as we meet with our clients because because things change right and so um, in that way we help our clients look into the future and so that's really what we're trying to do is help give them uh, a view into the future of their business to make better decisions it would seem the main objective of all entrepreneurs and founders is to grow a valuable company what are the, let's say, three steps that you would say are the three must-dos for entrepreneurs to ensure that to grow a valuable company is, I mean, 10 million plus type of range, that it's not a small amount? I think we all agree that an entrepreneur can create a small to medium-sized enterprise just on pure determination and drive, but that step up into an eight-figure or nine-figure style company. What are the three kind of core components of what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I would say, especially in cannabis, right? You don't want to ruin the value of, of your company. Um, I've worked in M&A and due diligence. And the first thing that it, anybody does is they're going to come over as they're going to acquire your company uh, or purchase your company is turn over every stone, every tax return, uh, financial statements, you know, dig through the transactions, especially on a larger uh, company purchase. And so the first step is compliance, right? It's compliance uh, with your tax return, with your 401k plan, 
all the different areas that a buyer would come in. We want to make sure all of that is is clean. Another area that that we find um, a lot of issues in is is expenses, especially with small business. You have a lot of commingling of personal expenses within the business, and then that's something that has to be cleaned out. And so we really want to separate that out, make sure we have a, a, a clean set of financials that a buyer can come in and and quickly, uh, you know, assess the value of of the business because it's just like buying a house. You know, you want to have it nice and clean and have good curb appeal and make the transaction easy for somebody coming in as well as build a lot of value in the company for, for a strategic buyer that might want to come in and, and fit in your business into theirs. Um, the other piece is cash flow. That's a really tough area in cannabis and cannabis because as markets mature, competition gets very heavy. Um, prices start to come down. But also in the US, we have a very punitive uh, tax situation at the federal level. And so the effective tax rate for most of these cannabis companies is well above the average that a typical company would pay. Let's say a corporate tax rate of 40% for a normal company would be somewhere around, could be 80 to 90%. And so the cash after taxes, uh, it's a it's a tough situation. And so I say that um, to make the point that the the key area is to know how you're going to scale as you add a second retail location, as you acquire property. And the key around that is the visibility, is understanding how you're going to have more efficiency around your costs as you grow or what cash it was going to take to run the business as you're scaling because it takes some time you know say you're opening up a third retail location right there's some upfront cost until you get that retail location running to full efficiency and so th those are the kinds of things that um, sometimes at a very specific level we help point out for our clients or on a on a on a larger level um, through a financial statement forecasting what what that might look like and so sometimes it's, I want to hire one person. What does my productivity need to be, um, you know, to, to, to pay for the cost of this person over the next few months? How long is it going to take me to get this payoff? And so we help kind of look through all those scenarios and help, help, our, help the client scale so that they're growing revenue, but hopefully they can keep that overhead uh, pretty steady into where they're, they're not growing their costs as they're growing their revenue. That's the goal there. Yeah, it would seem that uh, de facto that entrepreneurs are risk takers and a lot of them don't necessarily have financial acumen when they first set up their company and the bad ones spend money that they shouldn't have spent too early and the good ones manage to get financial advice either on the advisory board or via employment because without that financial guardrails put up, you can end up making a number of missteps that uh, could take years to recover for your company. But what are the metrics that you guys look for when it comes to measuring companies within the cannabis industry? What are the the, the key factors that you guys look for? Sure, we we advise on it, it's a it's it's a kind of our core consulting approach for for all businesses. Um, but I'll get more specific into into cannabis. Is that um, for a virtual CFO service, sometimes we're meeting with our clients up to six times a month. Um, one might be a financial review, 
Uh, another might be we'll we'll look over the production metrics and then the customer metrics, and then we'll have a series of cash flow meetings. Um, so that's what a typical month might look like for for a client, and that's really around the metrics. So if you if you divide it up, the the very top of a let's say we're you're looking at an income statement, uh, you have your sales minus the cost of of the product. Say for a cannabis retailer. That's what we call the the production or the sales. And we really dig into how those sales are divided up in terms of different form factors. And then we want to really take a look at what the average sale, average value of each transaction is. And so here in the in the US, every state is a little bit different. The states that have more competition will have lower averages. Um, newer markets might have higher transaction sizes, but in any case, we want to track where that trans average transaction size is week to week and see if it's changing. Um, because that that's where we can really help the, the retailer in this case, if we're talking about retail, understand, well, how can we increase this number? Where do we need to get it in order to achieve the level of net income that we that we set out, right? Or to maximize that source, that location's uh, profitability. Um, and then the number of transactions, right? The number of transactions and the foot traffic coming into, into the store so we can track the conversion. And then the other piece of that is that's where we can really pull out, well, our transaction size, number of transactions coming down and we'll look at the customer metrics. And so a big one there is the customer retention. Um, on average, uh, cannabis consumers or customers have a very short uh, you know, lifetime value because they're, they're jumping around looking for, for deals, particularly in the flower category. And so we'll track the average lifetime of a customer as well as the retention so we can see, okay, what, what do we need to do to go out and recapture that customer? And then lastly is the, the financial metrics. Um, so we're looking at gross margin um, for a retailer. The very highest that you know, you'll see is somewhere around 50% gross margin. That's just the sales minus the cost um, and overhead as a percentage of revenue and net income. And so... Typical retailers, those that are profitable, are somewhere around 15 to 20%. If you look at their very bottom line on their income statement, they're doing about 15% of revenue. Um, but all that to say is that very few are profitable in this environment. And so uh, something that's you know very exciting and and coming up as you as you well know is is the reschedule. And so that would eliminate Do you think that that's going to bring a wave of M&A activity, this rescheduling, because that's initially, I would, I would imagine what's going to happen. The industry is the people who don't know how to run a business and read a balance sheet end up getting uh, swarmed by the heavily vested and high, highly capitalized companies that can just M&A their way to dominance. I'm, I'm hoping not, you know, our, um, so many folks get into this industry not really wanting to sell, you know, before they build a very valuable company, obviously, um, or for the long term. And so I think for what I call the, you know, the Main Street cannabis, the, 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 the folks that are maybe first time business owners, um, you know, the plan is, wasn't to, to sell the business so, so quickly. And so 
um, there's there's not as much or any institutional capital in in cannabis right now. It's going to take a few more couple of years, but I could I would say you're going to see a lot more M and A activity um, this year and and next year. Um, but my hope is that a lot of these companies can get to profitability with the reschedule and the extra cash flow that's going to be coming in um, from the lower tax rate to avoid a lot of that consolidation that's going to happen in, in the industry. But some of it is inevitable just because of the cash flow issues. Yeah. It's been fantastic talking to you, Guillermo. For anybody who wants to learn a bit more about Anders CPA services, the link is scrolling below and it'll be where you view and listen to this podcast. Uh, Guillermo, thank you very much for taking your time to chat with us today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. Until next episode, everybody. Oh.